it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade, Brian uh, in Virginia. You've seen him all over Fox. He's at a diner. Uh, they have the primaries going on in Virginia. So I'm sitting in the seat for Brian. And one of the big uh, issues in Virginia, as you know, uh, is is schools and school choice and what was happening to our kids during COVID. And they really kind of lit the fire under all of that. So who best to start the show off with than Betsy DeVos, the former education secretary and the author of a new book out called Hostages No More, The Fight for Education Freedom and the Future of the American Child. So timely. Betsy DeVos, thank you for joining me. Well, Mary, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. I have a a stack of things to talk to you about because this is such a hot topic now. You know, in your book, you you talk about curriculum transparency, something that parents up until COVID had no clue what their kids were learning in school. And I blame the parents for that. You know, school choice, super hot right now. The president deciding uh, whether he's going to extend, you know, student debt forgiveness. And all of that is addressed in this book. What I wanted to start out with you, though, is an interesting thread that I found on Twitter. So please bear with me as I as I tell you about what this young man had to say. He's 18 years old. And so he says, you know, five years ago, I was in junior high school. And he says, imagine you're an eighth grade boy. You're beginning to be told by teachers, the media, and maybe your parents that you're privileged because you're a boy. It's a basic truth. If boys are privileged, though, why do the girls in my class get better grades? Why are there more girls than boys in my advanced classes? Why are the girls more well-behaved and focused? Why are some of the girls preparing for college applications early? And he says, and then I fast forward, it's a really long thread, so I just cherry-picked it to get the gist of it. He says, by the time you get to high school, your confusion only grows. Your friend, who you used to go to church with, has become addicted to porn. Another friend whose parents have recently divorced has started using drugs. Your p- friends start appearing unmotivated and demoralized. Meanwhile, the girls continue to be overrepresented in honors classes, get better test scores and grades. And then he says college acceptances come out. You notice more girls than boys get into top university. More girls are going to college in general. But for some reason, all you hear is that girls are underrepresented in higher education, and it's confusing. When you start to search for college scholarships, you find hundreds that are open to only women. And you do research and you start to discover that men are more likely to become homeless, to go to prison, to become alcoholics, to struggle with isolation and loneliness, die of drug overdose and commit suicide. But all you hear about for some reason is something called the gender pay gap. And then he says, now do all of that and assume you're a white eighth grade white boy. So on top of the alienation you experience for merely being a boy, you're told by teachers, the media, and maybe even your parents that you should feel some form of remorse for being white. You're as privileged as it gets. 
it, this doesn't make much sense to you. Why should you feel bad for being white? Something you can't control. And he ends it by saying, as you get older, you feel increasingly unwelcome by society. So you turn to the internet where you feel welcome by video games and right wing forums. Younger and younger white males are following this path. They feel they're simply unwelcome by society and they escape to a select few communities and websites. For the first time in America's history, the founding demographic is dropping out of society in massive numbers. I thought that that threat, and as I said, there's a whole lot more to it, but that just encapsulates basically what his journey has been. Why are we doing this to our boys in our schools? This is institutionalized. Well, uh, Mary, it's a very good question, and the question more broadly is why are we continuing to do to our kids what uh, the system has done for over 175 years, put all of them into a one-size-fits-all box? Uh, This last two years, parents and and grandparents and friends and neighbors have had a front-row seat to um, the failings of a system that many of us have known long before the pandemic hit. And what has happened is uh, it's been, you know, all of the failings have been laid bare in a way that has uh, aroused parents' interest and ire and uh, determination to do something different and better on behalf of their kids. You know, the months and months of of lockdowns, the mandates, the in and out of in-person distance learning, the uh, critical race theory and all the other curriculums that parents viewed firsthand coming into their homes, uh, the sexualization of young children, these things and others have continued to raise up this issue, the issue of education and the future of our children in a way that I've never seen in the 35 years I've been involved with advocating for kids and their futures. And I believe it's a good and prime moment for policy change that will support parents' ability to direct and control their children's education. And that's what that's what parents want. So how do we get here? How were parents so asleep until COVID when they started seeing what was being taught to their kids because the kids was in the they were in the kitchen and so they could hear what was being taught? How did parents not know until then? Well, um, let's, you know, let's be honest. There's many, many parents across the country who have moved to good, quote unquote, good districts, to good locations. They've paid higher prices for homes to do it, to put their kids in schools that they thought were going to, uh, you know, train, educate them well and, and get them prepared for adulthood. But the reality is that well before the pandemic, there were a lot of warning signs, and many of us have been seeing them for years. Students not being prepared, not actually learning the things that they need to learn for a, a successful adult future, but instead being, um, you know, being subject to a lot of these. Uh, a lot of these theories and a lot of the teaching and a lot of the curriculum that is not core to their ability to function as adults and in many cases is antithetical to what the family values are. Yeah, absolutely, which is why I think you're seeing, uh, as we're seeing since the pandemic, this rush to private schools, to Catholic schools, uh, to get the kids into um, an area that is going to teach more towards their values. Well, and Um, Mary, you know, during the pandemic, again, many families who chose to move to good areas, quote unquote, 
uh, saw their schools remain closed while many of the charter and private faith-based schools opened back up. And they're, they're saying, what's up with this? Why aren't our kids get, getting back into the classroom where they need to be? And, uh, and the ones who were kept out the longest and uh, have the most lasting negative impact are the ones who are the most vulnerable. Did did the did the left overplay its hand as they often do? I mean, they push, but they're smart. They'll push for a mile, but they'll they'll take a yard. You know that these incremental gains that we have seen over time, they're smart in that way. Have they overplayed their hand though in this time? Because when it comes to kids, I've been saying this for years now. When it comes to your children, it doesn't matter whether you you have a D or an R after your name. This is something that brings everyone together because now you're talking about my kids, and only yeah. the far left are going to be okay with the whole whiteness and CRT and all of that stuff. But everybody else, they're not for this. Do you see enough of a groundswell from the American people for a pushback to have change? Well, I I do. I do see um, the intensity and the attention that's being paid to what is actually happening. And then, uh, you know, many parents who want to go and ask questions of their schools and they go to the school board meetings and then they are, uh, you know, publicly um, ridiculed or, or castigated and, you know, to the point of being called and referred to as domestic terrorists with the FBI being sent in to investigate. I mean, these things, is the system and and, uh, and headed up by the school unions overplaying? They have continued at every step to um, be on the side of their interests in a system rather than the children that they're supposed to be be serving. And uh, families have awakened to this, and many beyond families have awakened. And we're seeing moves in states across the country to pass legislation, implement policy that is going to give parents the ability to control those resources. Um, and I, I use the metaphor of a backpack often. Kids go to school every day with a backpack full of the things they need for the day. We need to metaphorically attach to each child's backpack all the resources that are being spent on that child. So on average, we spend about $15,000 per child per year in K-12 education. Some places way more, other places less. But let's just say it's about $15,000. We need to attach, metaphorically attach those monies to that child's backpack and let the parents decide if their assigned school is working for them or not. And if it's not, give them the opportunity to choose a private school or a, uh, a home school or a learning pod or a virtual school or any combination of those and let them find the place that their child is going to thrive. That is the imperative now. Yeah, absolutely. And there are so many things that I know you wanted to do that you didn't get to do as the education secretary. And we're going to talk about some of that as well. School choice. And also, I'd like to explore uh, this exodus of teachers from our system. And now we don't have enough of them. And that is a problem as well. It seems almost like a perfect storm. More with former education secretary Betsy DeVos coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So when people talk about CRT, it's not saying slavery didn't exist. It's not saying that we didn't have Jim Crow. What should people know when they talk about CRT? Well, critical race theory is a lens through which things are viewed. So it's a theory that they, they instruct teachers to look at, which is you know, the myth of meritocracy, colorblindness. You know, we don't want to do colorblindness anymore. We want race consciousness and the permanence of racism. We discovered from the Pacific Educational Group, which is one of these equity consultants, they had a whole list of things that they presented to the different uh, school system in Pennsylvania. And they talk about things that are habits of whiteness. It's, you know, Hard work, the scientific method, being polite. Look, those are tr- those are things for everybody, right? I mean, it's racist so. to assume that that's just somebody that's white. I mean, it's it's appalling. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. You heard Brian there uh, with Ian Pryor in Virginia today. Brian's down there for uh, the Virginia primaries. And, um, you know, Ian was one of those people who was really at the forefront of this p- explosion of parents getting involved, being outraged of what their kids were learning uh, during the pandemic. And I'm here with the former education secretary, Betsy DeVos. Welcome back. She also has a new book out called Hostages No More, The Fight for Education, Freedom, and the Future of the American Child. Um, you heard uh, Ian Pryor there, you know, talking about colorblindness. And when we started this out, I read that thread to you from an 18-year-old young white man talking about how damaging it is that we're telling our young boys that they're privileged. And if you're white, you have the ultimate in privilege and how they, they kind of drop out of society because they're felt like they're not welcome. Why are we doing this? And the other part of this, to me, it's very racist to tell our black children that, you know, oh, well, you know, it being being polite is is white so you don't want to be polite you don't want to be on time those are things that set you up for failure in life well all of these uh, whatever iteration of critical race theory we're talking about what it does is serve to uh, set one group of people up against another and uh it, it's just it, it's, it's bottom line racism period and the last thing we need to be doing is encouraging kids to um, view themselves as something less than, no matter where you come from, no matter the color of your skin, how much your family makes, however way you cut it. What we need to be doing is setting up kids for success and expecting, expecting the best from them. Having high expectations around what kids can do and will do is where we should be going. And yet we see the system uh, really dumbing down things in so many cases or lowering expectations, removing requirements, all in the name of uh, somehow helping kids. That doesn't help kids. And what will help them is uh, ensuring that their families have the opportunity to Uh, again, find the right fit for them to get everything from an education and become everything that they can be. You know, the system that we are living with today is 175 years old, and it's fundamentally unchanged from the time it was founded. Um, The 
title of my book, Hostages No More, is a direct reference to a direct quote from Horace Mann, the founder, the father of our system, 175 years ago, said that educators are entitled to look upon parents as as having given hostages to our cause. Our cause, the cause of uh, Horace Mann and the educators. And we've seen in spades today how many places and ways that our children have been held hostage. Uh, They need to be freed, and that's what this book is about, how we fix American education. It has great stories from my time in office, but also stories from well before that, 30-some years before that, of advocating on behalf of students and their families to be where they need to be, not in a system that is holding them back or telling them something that they're not, and uh, you know, having them learn to hate themselves. Now, we're seeing a mass exodus of teachers, as we are from so many professions. People are leaving. I don't know where they're going. I have no clue how people are making money. I, someone needs to tell me because I'm apparently one of the few people still working. Uh, but t- teachers are saying that the veteran teachers just can't take it, and they're leaving in part due to the scale of mental health challenges that students have brought back to the classroom after two years of online learning. And I think these mental health problems have been brewing for a long time because of of uh, what we are telling our children instead of just teaching them, we're indoctrinating them. And for a lot of them, it just doesn't sit right with them. Sure. Well, you know, what is your response to this? How, if you were the education secretary, how would you handle this right now? Well, absolutely. Teachers have been, uh, it's been tough for teachers the last two years as well. And it was, frankly, it's been tough for teachers for many years. You know, while I was secretary, I had two roundtables with teachers who had been teachers of the year in their state or their district. Yet after their year of, uh, you know, going around the state and talking and, and encouraging others, uh, their, you know, their colleagues, they came back to their schools and were basically told to get back in the classroom and just do what you did before. And in no way was there, um, you know, the, the fact that they were outstanding in what they did uh, really uh, leveraged and or celebrated. Um, and so all of these teachers had left the classroom after having been on their victory lap for a year. They had left the classroom. And here, these are great teachers. We need to ensure that great teachers have every opportunity to teach kids, to teach other teachers who can use their mentorship and to encourage them to find a place and fit that works for them. You know, there's been there have been many teachers who the last two years out of necessity have gone and or out of desire have gone and started working with a, a small handful of families that decided to homeschool their kids together or, you know, form a little mini school. Uh, those kinds of opportunities need to be continued to develop for teachers and those need to be viable and good options and they can be if we move from this stringent one-size-fits-all framework to an, a, a framework of education freedom where families and teachers are fully empowered to make the right decisions for their kids. Absolutely. Uh, I just want to, we're going to do one more segment here, uh, but I do want to address the issue of the mental health crisis and the lack of counselors in schools. That seems to be a complaint across the board that there aren't enough counselors in schools to handle these kids who have so many, are dealing with so many mental issues, especially after the pandemic. All right. So more coming up with the former education secretary, Betsy DeVos on the Brian Kilmeade show. Yeah. 
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Uh, we are here with the former Education Secretary, Betsy DeVos, and I will be taking your calls coming up, 866-408-7669, 866-408-7669. Talking about the mental health crisis, that it just seems to be overrunning this entire generation, and it started before the pandemic, uh, you know, but in a survey from August 2011 to November 2011, 73% of college students reported experiencing some type of mental health crisis during college. Uh, I find that hard. I find that just amazing that so many kids are experiencing mental health crises. And how do we address this with our, with our students, especially when the complaint is there aren't enough guidance counselors? Well, great question, Mary. And uh, again, I think looking at the system and how it responded to the COVID crisis the last couple of years, um, there seemed to be no anticipation that there would be more need when children got back to school. And when they were deciding to keep uh, kids locked out of school for months on end, no anticipation of the cost, uh, the health cost to children from that perspective. And here today, the the system sits with having been allocated $200 billion for COVID relief, most of it untouched and unspent and undesignated for something like this very pressing issue. Now, it seems to me they should have anticipated going back and, and providing all kinds of resources and support for children. But again, the system has failed the kids it's supposed to serve. Yeah, and and we keep seeing that over and over again, which is why, you know, we we played the piece from Ian Pryor with Brian today, you know, and, and again, Ian being the tip of the spear, really, when it came to that explosion in Virginia of parents going to school board meetings, could could the silver lining in all of this be that parents are now getting involved in their children's education? I do think it's uh, very much a silver lining, and I think it's also so that uh, – uh, policymakers, uh, uh, those who are elected to office at uh, the federal and state and local levels are paying attention in ways they have not before. Uh, they're seeing that parents and uh, and all of their families and, and neighbors and friends are saying, we need something different. This is not working for our kids, and we want to have the ability to control what happens with our kids. We clearly learned, even if we didn't know it before the pandemic, we learned the last two years that we've had very little control, if any, uh, with our children's education, and that needs to change. Policymakers are getting the message, and those who don't better wake up. If you were still the uh, education secretary and you were in the position right now, what is the first thing you would do to change the education system? Well, the first thing is I would, I would, uh, if I could snap my fingers, I would make sure that the funds for children follow the child to the family so that they are the decision maker, not the funds going to a system or a building, which is how we've traditionally done it. We need to change our mindset around that and know that we education is about individual kids. We need to be funding them and letting their families make the decision for them what is best. Yeah, absolutely. And that that idea of school choice, I, I do think is spreading. And I think that parents, as we, we just said, are waking up and saying, you know, wait a minute, there's a great school over there, but I'm I have to send my kid to this school because it's based on my zip code. It seems so arbitrary. And maybe, like you said, it worked years ago. 
but maybe now not so much. Uh, the the book that I really think if you are a parent, you you want to pick up because you really want to check this out. So much is addressed in this book. It's called Hostages No More, The Fight for Education, Freedom, and the Future of the American Child. Is And it's available now, correct? It is indeed. Today's it, the day. All right. Today's the day. Parents, if you are worried about your kid's education, you need to pick this book up. It's by Betsy DeVos, the former education secretary. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thanks so much, Mary. Great to be with you. 866-408-7669 is my number. You you heard what Betsy DeVos had to say here. Again, the book is Hostages No More, The Fight for Education, Freedom, and the Future of the American Child going on sale today. Uh, she talks about, um, you know, the, the mental health issues in school, which to me, I am fascinated by the fact that even before the pandemic, so many college-age kids were reporting mental health crises, having had a mental health crisis during college, in their college years. That's shocking to me. You know, college was hard. You know, we we partied hard. We studied hard. We worked hard. But, and I, you know, we all had our moments where we broke down because it t- we weren't going to get a test done or the workload was too hard or whatever. But we got through it. And I I don't think if you had ever asked, if you ever asked me if I had a mental health crisis in college... I would say no, but it's trickling down and it's younger and younger. And if you missed it, but when we first started the interview with her, I I read her, it was a very long thread on Twitter by an 18 year old man who is going to college for the, and he said, you know, eight, five years ago, I was in eighth grade and he talks about the things he was told in eighth grade. He was told, you know, you start being told that because you're a boy, you're privileged and that the girls you know, but yet I, I look around and the girls are doing better in tests. The girls are more, are better behaved. The girls are getting better grades. And, and then it goes on and then I get to, you know, high school and I'm told the same thing and that, you know, there's uh, a gender gap. And, and then I, then because I'm white, I'm told that I have the ultimate in privilege. And he talks about how he saw his friends, his boy, his male friends become disconnected and start to withdraw because as a group, especially white boys, young white boys, they're, they're basically told that they're not welcome anywhere. They're not, they're not encouraged to achieve because they have privilege and he's watching the girls succeed. And I'll tell you, I have, I have three nieces. The three of them, you know, got into phenomenal colleges. The youngest though, because she's white, um, that came into play unofficially from what we found out um like yeah sorry but you know she's white like but look at the score the sat score she's insanely brilliant yeah okay but she i mean she's in a good school she didn't get her dream school but she's in a great school which which is fantastic but they they also say you know they look down it's really sad they do look down on a lot of the boys that they go to school with they're not serious they're not they're they're mature. The girls seem to be mature, but they almost seem to be a little too mature. Like they they're so focused on learning and and achieving, and they're like the boys aren't serious. Yeah, all they want to do is party, but the boys clearly are doing well because they got into those schools. So I, I just wonder what we're doing to our young men, and this has been coming for a while. And the mental health crises that we see in schools. Um, she also addresses um student student debt, student loan debt. And you heard the president say that, you know, he's thinking about extending the the holiday, the student debt repayment holiday. And whenever I hear this, I think, okay, 
well, that's good. You didn't have to pay. You haven't had to pay your student loans for two years. So if you were taking that money and putting it away, socking it away, you'd be earning interest on it, which is great. And then when you have to pay, repay your student loan, you can get rid of a whole bunch of that debt in one shot. Repaying it shouldn't be a problem for you. So when people are like, oh, I can't repay my student loan debt, I'm like, what have you been doing with the money for the last two years? Am I the only one who wonders that? I hear that, I'm like, huh, I don't know. I would think if I got a mortgage holiday for two years, in my brain, I would take, and if money was tight, I would take at least half the money that I was supposed to be paying to the mortgage and put it away and not touch it, right? And, and then when I have to start repaying my mortgage, I have more than enough money to repay my mortgage, right? To start making the payments. I just don't know how many people are doing that. So I don't understand that at all. But all of this, um, she, she talks about, um, and, and she also talks about Title IX and the whole bathroom selection and gender identity and all of that. So I want to get your thoughts. 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Questioning everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So it makes sense that in a moment where we see racial racist retrenchment, where we see extremist forces on the rise trying to in every way undermine our democracy, that there would be this anti-CRT movement. Right. No matter what you think about critical race theory, we need to understand the relationship between critical race theory and white replace and the replacement theory that they go hand in hand. Because we saw it at the latter part of the 19th century as Jim Crow was taking root and the ideology of Anglo-Saxonism was overrunning the country. That was Eddie Gloud Jr. on MSNBC. He's a professor at Princeton and uh, talking about the uh, anti-CRT movement. It's a part of quote, racist re-entrenchment. I can't, you know, maybe it's because I do this for a living. So I talk about these things all the time and, um, and you know, I, I have to keep up with all this. I am tired of this changing of the, the vocabulary and everything else. I, half the stuff, the words that are thrown around now, I don't even know what they mean, especially when it comes to like the 47 pronouns and it, it, you're no longer heterosexual. It's, it's heteronormative. I'm like, what? Why does, why does everything have to be changed? Why, and I sound like I'm 10,000 years old and I kind of feel that way sometimes. But I think that this is all very exhausting. And if you're a kid in school, this has to be exhausting to you, a parent especially. Oh, my gosh. You poor parents. 866-408-7669. We were just speaking with Betsy DeVos, the former education secretary. She has a new book out called Hostages No More, The Fight for Education, Freedom, and the Future of the American Child. And we've been talking a lot about our, our young boys. And young boys in school are taught that they're privileged. So you're automatically, you know, like, oh, you're privileged and looked down on. But at the same time, and then, then if they're white, it's even worse. They're not necessary. And there was an excellent Twitter thread by a young man who said, you know, I saw a lot of my peers just drift into drugs and all these other things who were motivated. But we're basically told that we're not welcome anywhere. But the message to the black kids is that you're incapable. Without our help, you're incapable. You have a bigger struggle. 
It makes them victims. And the whole system, I think, is horrible. But what is happening to our young males, I think, is really, really bad. 866-408-7669. Uh, Julie in Gainesville, Florida. Julie, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi there. Hi. Hi. Um, this uh, really struck a chord with me because um, I was in public education. Uh, I started teaching in 1986. And the last 15 years, I have definitely noticed an uncomfortable trend. So as, as in the elementary school, as school has become more and more academic, we've removed uh, recess and, and other types of um, play from the classroom, what I've noticed is that starting in kindergarten, um, girls, for some reason, always seem to be about six months developmentally ahead of uh, boys. I think this is just a natural tendency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so look, some little girl is assigned to Johnny to help keep him organized and to keep him, you know, where's his pencil, where's his paper, keep his desk clean, and just to keep him on track. And, you know, poor Johnny, by six months into the school year, he's starting to feel really inadequate because all the little girls in the classroom seem to understand that A says as an apple, and he's just not connecting the dots. And so this continues kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and um, there just becomes this real insecurity in these young boys, and they become very dependent on these girls to help keep them organized, and the girls are excelling very early on. Yeah. And then then on top of that, if you tell them that, well, you're super privileged, they look around and they're like, wait, I'm privileged, but I have a minder. Like you literally assigned a minder to me, but I'm privileged. How does that work? I think it's a super confusing message to these kids and they just can't work it out, which I can't blame them. I can't work it out. I don't understand what's happening. So how do you expect a kid who's, you know, 10 years old to figure out that he's privileged, but yet he, the girls are doing far better than he is, but he's privileged because he's a boy. It doesn't make any sense. No, and because we're just not letting boys be boys anymore, yep. and, and play is so, so important in the classroom. When I taught fifth grade, I was one of the few teachers who allowed my children recess because I knew that after lunch, if those guys didn't have 25 minutes on the basketball court, to work out their frustration, I lost them for the rest of the day. They were not going to be ready for social studies. You know what? That is so true, Julie. Thank you so much. That is so true. Getting rid of play, you got to be crazy. Every teacher loved play because the kids just ran themselves into the ground, which they need. Let's quickly go to California. Rebecca, listening on the Fox app, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hello. Thank you, Mary. I just love listening to you. You're wonderful. Oh, thank you. Go ahead. What did you want to say about Betsy, about, about boys okay. in school and all that stuff? All right. Several years ago, I was going to say about six years ago, I had to decide to put my son into high school. So he graduated his eighth grade, and, you know, he hung out. He was very smart. He graduated uh, salutatorian of his class, and, and he did very well, hung out with the girls because they were all smart, right? 
Mm-hmm. Those were the ones that got all the attention. So I decided to put him into an all-boys Catholic high school because I wanted him to compete with boys and not so much the girls because the girls seemed to be getting everything, getting into the better classes and the better right. teachers. And, and it was just not fair. Now, I put my son in the same high school that Tom Brady went to and in San Mateo, Sarah High School. And it's very good. My son graduated with a 4.4. He did excellent. Great. Now, here's the caveat. In his senior year, um, I didn't know this, but he was gay. And he came out on the intercom at school. <gasps> and this was a different set of, this is an all-boys Catholic high school, mind you. And he was the first one to ever do this. I'm very proud of him. Um, to do this in all-boys Catholic high school is, is tremendously right. brave. Tremendously brave. I've got one minute. And, I'm sorry. Yeah, and he point and to point make a point is he had other challenges when he was with all the boys and being gay, and he had to keep that subdued. Sure. And then coming out in his senior senior year, and it was just it's just a point where he had to have another challenge, not just fighting girls. Now he had to fight his, you know, being gay. Right. You know, and it was a struggle, and it's so hard for these boys, and I feel sorry for all of them. I, I do. And thank you for sharing that story. And I'm so happy to hear that, you know, that he was he was supported by his parents and everything, because I think that's super important. Rebecca, thank you for sharing that. But here's the thing. I don't know. Why do we have to come out on the on the school intercom to everybody in school? I, I, I don't know. We, we, like everybody's got to pr- announce their sexual proclivities on, you know, loudly to the public. I, I don't know why, because I, I think I would love to, us to get to the point where no one cares, right? Isn't that the ultimate goal? To get to that point where no one cares. You do you, I'll do me, we'll all be happy. That would be the best in my mind. Wow, that's incredible. I'm Mary Welter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Yes, I'm Mary Walter sitting in the seat for Brian Kilmeade. Brian down in Virginia for the primaries. You saw him all morning on Fox and Friends in one of the diners down there in Richmond. Let's go. Let's talk about the border, shall we? Let's talk about immigration. I also want to talk about gun control as well. And who best to do that? Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director, former congressman uh, from Florida. And he is the author of the books Hold Texas, Hold the Nation, Victory or Death. And also, We Can Overcome an American Black Conservative Manifesto. You can follow him on Twitter at Alan West. Sir, thank you for joining me on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well, Mary. It's great to hear your voice. Oh, well, I'm so happy that you're joining me. I have so many things that I wanted to speak with you about. You have a piece out called A Short Reminder of the History of the Democrat Party in America. And this is so powerful because as I was reading this, I'm like, Wow, he's totally right. And you talk about the four S words that sum up the Democrat Party in America. Slavery, secession, segregation, and socialism. But then you add another word. It starts with a V. What is that other word? 
The, what? I couldn't hear your last part. Oh, the, the other word that you add in there, it's not an S word. It's a V word that has become associated with the Democrat oh, yeah. Party. Well, it's violence. And when you look at what is a common thread between slavery, secession, socialism, and segregation, it's violence. And that's who they are. That's what we see playing out again right now. And I think it's so important, as I you know, had the quote from George Santayana, we got to study and understand this, this political party and this ideology and realize that this is about creating fear, intimidation, threats, coercion, and ultimately violence. And that's how they're trying to get their way. And I tried to outline that in that piece. Yeah, it, it is a great piece. So where, as I was reading this, I'm like, okay, so where are the Republicans? You know, the Republicans formed their party, as you point out, in 1854 as a single-issue party, and that was the abolition of slavery. Republicans yep. today seem to not have any kind of backbone, any kind of spine. And I, I'm wondering if they've, the leadership in the Republican Party is really no different than the leadership in the Democrat Party. Well, that's the frustration. As a matter of fact, uh, I think you saw this past week at the Texas GOP convention that Senator John Cornyn was booed because they're sick and tired of Republicans that are going up there. And now they're getting in bed with the progressive socialists for this whole gun control thing and implementing red flag laws, which are a violation of your second, fourth and fifth constitutional amendments. So, you know, I don't know where the courage is with with the Republican Party. I don't know where the the plan is. I mean, they're talking about give us the majority back in the House and Senate. Well, where's your plan? Where's your contract with America? I know Newt Gingrich is out there writing this new majority thing, but where is McConnell and McCarthy standing up for, for these principles? And, again, why aren't they saying these things about this party? When you look at this organization, Jane's Revenge, that is yes. out there firebombing pro-life pregnancy centers and threatening them, saying that if you don't disband, shut down in 30 days, there are going to be more of it. Well, why aren't we putting pressure on on this, this organization? Why aren't we bringing this to light? Why aren't we saying to Merrick Garland, instead of you sitting back watching the January 6th commit, committee hearings, why don't you deal with them? Why don't you deal with Antifa? which is a domestic terrorist organization, much like the first domestic terrorist organization the Democrats created, which was the Ku Klux Klan. You know, it's it's it, you, you have uh, Jim Jordan coming out, and he's the top Republican on the Judiciary Committee. And he is say, he said that more than a half dozen whistleblowers have come forward regarding Attorney General Merrick Garland. And if they win the House, they're, they're going to mull impeachment of Garland, and uh, they're going to take action against him. So I keep hearing this, but I kind of feel like Charlie Brown with Lucy holding the football telling me, no, yeah, if, yeah. if you give us the majority, we're really going to do something. And then nothing ever gets done. And and they, the Republicans will complain like, well, the Democrats own the media. And if the media doesn't put this stuff out there, then, you know, we really can't do anything. And to me, that is just a load. You may not get it televised. You may not get your hearings televised, but you can still impeach someone. You can still uh, bring people to justice, whether or not the media covers it or not. Who cares about being televised? Uh, I mean, right now, you know, Merrick Garland should probably be gone, going after parents as domestic terrorists, but you don't go after Antifa. Uh, Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, should be gone. Uh, you know, I'm here in Texas, and this thing about they are managing the border eff- effectively and efficiently, that's a lie. You've got millions of people. This is an invasion. This is not an illegal immigration issue. He doesn't even keep track of some of the folks that are on the terrorist watch list that have come across that border. So he should be gone. And without a doubt, let me tell you, Joe Biden, 
you want to talk about treason, you want to talk about impeachable offenses, not about a phone call, but the fact that you are uh, disavowing your constitutional oath to protect the sovereignty of the United States of America. All these things are being done, especially with our borders, purposeful and intentional. And so we want to see that courage from Republicans. And, you know, maybe, uh, you know, McCarthy and McConnell will read that piece that I put out in uh, town hall, and maybe they will echo some of those things and start finding their big boy pants. Well, my husband firmly believes that the Republican Party needs more women. Because the women are the fighters. <laughs> He's, he said, you need more Lauren Boberts. You need more Marjorie Taylor Greens. You, you yeah. need more Elise Stefanics. They need more women who don't care about being reelected, who will go out there yeah. and fight and shine the spotlight on the Democrats, and they don't care. And it seems to me as if a lot of the men, you keep mentioning the McConnell and McCarthy, those two, I personally would love to see them get primaried and booted out because they don't seem to want to do anything except get reelected. That's my humble opinion. Well, I tell you, you look at Myra Flores, who just won a special election down here in Texas. And what did she say? She said exactly what needs to be said. She said the people down here uh, in in South Texas are pissed off at the Democrats. And so we need that type of fire. We need those women of Sparta, uh, as as someone would go back and talk about that, you know, stand up and, and create those warriors and inspire men to to be in the gap uh, because right now the the status quo is failing in in the Republican Party and so you got to give people something to vote for not just say here's something to vote against and uh, you know everyone knows that this progressive socialist ideological agenda is not good but what are you going to try to inspire people to vote for? It'd be just the same, Mary, if I'm a commander uh, on the battlefield and we've got a battle coming up and I tell my troops uh, we're not going to develop a plan because the other side's just going to be that bad and we know that they'll <laughs> fail. Nobody's going to follow me into that battle. <laughs> exactly. It, it is just so frustrating and it is one of the reasons I am not a member of the Republican Party because they let me down so often and I think that was the lure of Trump is that he was a fighter and I think the people really want a fighter and they've been longing yeah. for that and that's that was the appeal of Trump um, I, I know you you had mentioned uh, immigration and you mentioned the terrorists uh, cut 11 Eric this is Tom Homan on America reports talking about the gotaways and nobody seems to talk mm. about them here's Tom Homan they're in such mm-hmm. a hurry to release people they're not waiting from betting from the bureau as you know, there's a case where they, they released a, 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 a male alien from Texas facility. Uh, the vetting didn't get back for two days. So they released him. When the vetting came back, he was hot on the terrorist watch list. And it took ICE a couple months to locate and, and arrest him. Now, how many more are like that? And I keep going back to the 800,000 gotaways, right? That we know there's 800,000 recorded gotaways because they're on camera or they're on drone traffic. We got videos of them. Borrowers couldn't respond. They've arrested people from 161 different countries. Some of those countries sponsored terrorism. Terrorists don't want to be arrested. How many of the 800,000 came into this country and there are no inspected terrorists going to do us harm? It's a great question. And they're coming no, into absolutely. Texas and Arizona. Yeah, absolutely right. And we see a, a huge preponderance of that coming through Texas. These are the ones that are out there in camouflage or dressed in black with backpacks, don't want to get caught. Many of them are coming out there through West Texas because everyone's focused on the family units coming in through the Rio Grande Valley area, you know, Del Rio, Eagle Pass, that area. But let me put this in a comparative analysis. You know, Tom Holman, who, who I know uh, quite well, he just said 800,000 getaways. 
the size of an Army Light Infantry Division is about 12,000 soldiers. So you basically have how many times more of a size of an Army in, uh, Infantry Division that is coming to the United States of America and we don't know where they are. That's a very dangerous thing because when you look at this whole defund the police, when you look at how the left is releasing violent criminals and felons back onto the streets, when you look at the illegal gun operations that are happening here in America, we're setting ourselves up for something that could be very, very bad in the future. Absolutely. Uh, before I let you go, I know uh, you're big with in, in, to the NRA and you're you're interested mm-hmm. in um, gu- gun issues. We have this bipartisan group that is looking at it being. Um, how do I say this? They're looking at. I don't want to say infringing our rights, but maybe curtailing our rights yeah. for those of us who are legal gun owners because um, a criminal committed a horrible and atrocious crime. The sticking mm-hmm. point, from what we hear, is there seems to be some disagreement over the boyfriend loophole, also known as the the red flag laws. And a majority of Americans are say they're in support of these red flag laws. Do you think that this bill would pass if it contains some kind of red flag? law? No, because red flag laws are a violation of your second, fourth, and fifth constitutional amendments, and we know how this will end up. And, and Mary, if you want to look into the case from November 2018 of Gary J. Willis, a 61-year-old man from Ferndale, Maryland, who was shot and killed by police at his doorway uh, because of a red flag law, I mean, a warrant that was put out against him. Look, you want to know about a red flag? The uh, shooter in Uvalde, Texas, lived with his grandfather. His grandfather had a criminal record. His grandfather could not possess firearms, nor could he be around firearms. That shooter used his grandfather's address on his 4473 background check form. That should have created uh, a red flag right there. That should have stopped everything right there. So we've got a problem with our system. we got a problem. This is what I want to see. These juveniles that are out there being, you know, violent criminals, put them in the system so that if you're 16 to 17, you're committing some of these acts like the kid down in uh, Uvalde shooting adults with BBs, guns. When you become 18, it's still there, and you're flagged. So that's what I want to see happen, not this thing that's going to put at jeopardy me as a legal, law-abiding, responsible gun owner. Yeah, the the problem I see with this is I look at the um, restraining orders, you know, because the boyfriend Mm -hmm. who may be abusive, and this is what we're talking about with the boyfriend loophole, someone who's been accused of abuse or convicted on abuse, um, it's a piece of paper, and a lot of them walk right through it, number one. But on the other side of it, I do think that restraining orders are are abused themselves when a woman Mm -hmm. or – and women tend to abuse them more than guys do. Sorry, ladies. But, you know, she wants to get even with him. I'm going to get him for cheating on me. So she goes down to the police department, and because she alleges abuse or she's in fear for her life or something along those lines, automatically you get that temporary restraining order. And then there's a cooling off period, and you get to go to to court. But with a red flag law, you're – guns are taken away from you and like that case in Maryland they came to his door at like 5 30 in the morning he had no clue what was going on he thinks someone's breaking into his house so he goes down with his gun yes absolutely right and the thing and the thing that you have to realize again I would just ask people to go out there and you can pull it down on online the 
ATF Form 4473 that you must complete every time you go to purchase a weapon, just the same as me. They don't care I've been a member of Congress. They don't care I was a colonel in the Army. Every time I purchase a weapon, I have to fill out a Form 4473. One of the questions is about domestic violence, uh, abuse, or any charges related to domestic violence. And let me tell you how the system failed again in that case. The shooter in Sutherland Springs who shot up the church down there, uh, Mm -hmm. I believe 2017, he was in the Air Force, was convicted of domestic abuse and domestic violence, and the Air Force did not put him into the system. So guess what? He was able to go out, lie on his 4473 form, and get an AR-15, and then proceeded to uh, to shoot up that church. And who stopped it? A trained NRA firearms instructor who was barefoot, Stephen Williford, with an AR-15. So it's not the weapon. We've got a problem with our system and the background, the next system especially. I a hundred percent I agree with you, and I, I kind of figured you were going to be against the red flag law because I can see a ton of oh, problems yeah. having having your having your firearms confiscated, and I just see the left uh, using this now as a weapon against the right because mm-hmm. oh you were you were at the Capitol on January sixth even if you were outside you're an insurrectionist you're a threat to America you have firearms we have to we have the right to now come into your home and take them because you're a threat so I I just see this as a very slippery slope to be used and weaponized by the left. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, thank you for joining me. I appreciate your time. It's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much, Mayor. God bless you. Have a great day. God bless you too. 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. Your call's coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I was out with Border Patrol. This was uh, actually last night in the early morning hours. And just groups after groups, uh, you know, massive groups that were coming across. The majority were families, uh, children, as you see in those videos there. And this is only one small area along the border uh, in Stark County, which is the further southern part of Texas. Um, And just massive groups coming across. And this is during the late night hours. That particular group, when I was there, uh, end up being over close to 100 plus. Prior to that, Border Patrol encountered another group of over 100. But the important thing to understand, though, when we talk about the how federal resources are so tied up and overwhelmed, that particular group it took off, it took six agents uh, to process those individuals. So they were pulled off the lines and they were stuck there processing those immigrants. And while that was taking place, you have the single adults, the runners that are trying to get by. That was Lieutenant Chris Oliveras on Fox and Friends weekend talking about the um, the surge on the border. <clears throat> Excuse me, the number of people just coming across. And I I saw I want to say it was on Fox. They said that the enough uh, the number of unaccompanied minors, children that have just been sent across the border by their parents with a coyote uh, or smuggled across human sm- across the border would fill Anaheim Stadium. Who's raising these kids? I mean, we're paying for them. But obviously, if you take it, you know, look, 18 years down the road, those kids are going to be adults and they can sponsor mom and dad and their cousins and chain migration. And, you know, the whole family comes over. 866-408-7669. We were just speaking with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West about that. But we were also talking to him about this proposed, this gun legislation that they're working on, uh, gun control, or as the left now calls it, gun safety. They don't say gun control because they know that the right 
you know, kind of puts their back up about that. Like, wait, what? So they call it gun safety now. And that's that's what they're talking about. But uh, an excellent piece by ABC News that asserts that, um, according to experts that they interviewed, these fed- proposed federal gun safety measures wouldn't have prevented the Uvalde shooting. And you heard uh, Lieutenant Colonel West talk about, well, they want to do this, they want to do this, but the the way that the the Uvalde shooter got his guns would none of this would have been prevented by that. So you wind up with a question, well, as he, as uh, a Lieutenant Colonel Allen West pointed out, you know, we need to fix the system we already have in place. We know that mistakes were made in pretty much all of these school shootings. Someone didn't close a door, although in Uvalde, apparently the teacher did close the door, but it's supposed to auto lock and it didn't. It had been broken for a while and they knew it, but they were going to fix it. Never got around to it. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Brian down uh, in Virginia. uh, Looking at the primaries down there, having some nice diner food. Some people in Richmond. 866-408-7669 is the number if you would want to join in. We were just speaking with Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, and he was talking about the border and what is happening down there and the number of people coming across. It's mind-boggling. You're talking about the, the population of entire cities that have now been dispersed throughout the United States. Majority of them, um, you know, obviously there's no COVID testing going on. Some of them are COVID tested, but the most majority aren't. And they're putting them on planes and into your, your towns and into school with your kids, and you're going to pay for it. And um, we now know that not only is Texas, but also Arizona sending busloads of these people to Washington, D.C. Now, they were going to drop them off in front of the White House, but most of them are going to uh, Union Station, where a lot of them are getting on buses and heading elsewhere. The number one destination is New York, number two, New Jersey, and I think the other one is Florida, but I'm not 100% sure with three. But they sent 79 buses full of illegals to Washington, D.C. But if they're leaving and they're not staying, it doesn't really affect Washington that much. And that's the last thing they want to talk about, because face it, Democrats play the long game. If they can bring 3 million people into this country illegally, it's well over a million now. If they can bring 3 million in the course of four years into this country, they know that down the road, five years from now, even Republicans aren't going to be able to deport all these people. They're not getting deported. These people are here to stay. And Democrats know that because they're going to play that. This is the only life they know. They don't know anything about fill in the home country, China, Italy, wherever it happens to be that they're coming from. Over 160 countries being represented. They're not going to be deported. And what do they think? Guess what? Three million new Democrat voters. That's what they're doing. Because they can't sell their ideas to the American people. But they can import people who are used to living under these conditions to get them to vote for it. And and they'll be rewarded for bringing them into this country. That's what they're they're thinking. The other thing we were discussing is this uh, gun bill. That it's a bipartisan bill and um, they're they're hashing it out. The sticking point right now, according to reports, is this boyfriend loophole, also known as red flag laws. And uh, a lot of people are against red flag laws. And I think for good reason, your right to due process is gone. You are judged guilty, a possible threat. So they're going to come and take away your guns. They're going to strip you of your Second Amendment rights right away. 
And then you have to prove your innocence. That's not the way the system is supposed to work. And I see a room for a lot of abuse with this. 866-408-7669 in North Carolina. Brad, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. How are you, Mary? I'm doing good. So you, you wanted to talk about the school shootings. Real quick correlation between these school shootings and a lot of the things we see going on with the young men in our nation. I'm, I'm 37 years old, uh, 85 born, and I watch the transition of what's going on with the high school. You know, like a previous caller you had that uh, sent her son off to the all-male school and he came out and whatnot. Uh, the, the situation I'm seeing is this. Since 1966, every uh active shooter we've had, if you do a toxicology report, these kids are on some type of antidepressant, antipsychotic, you know, these kids are on drugs, man, and, and I'm not talking illegal drugs, I'm talking pharmaceuticals. The main problem we're facing is, as a nation as a whole, I'm a parent of three, instead of spending more time with our kids, all I see is, you know, throw the phone in their face, throw the tablet in their face, you know, hey, give them something to do to get them out of my hair so I can go do what I need to do. The problem is we're breeding a generation of kids that aren't raised right, you know, these these. These, uh, like I said, if you look at the toxicologies on the shooters, every one of these kids, you know, show me what, show me what, what drugs they were on, and that's a, a telltale sign of what was going on with their mental status, the mental instability of the kids in this nation. That's a great point, and I, I, I hear a lot about that—that that these kids are on a lot of, um, a lot of behavioral drugs. I think the point was made also by that woman uh, that. You know, we don't allow boys to be boys. And I think that's so true. Behavior that is typical of young boys. And I see it, you know, with my nieces and nephews. The girls love to build things. They have a really good attention span and they play quietly. And then the boys come in and just like plow through it and wreck it, right? (laughs) That's just Absolutely, absolutely. And they're interested in hunting and fishing and masculine things that, uh, that we're now telling our kids in society are not supposed to be, you know, don't celebrate your masculinity. Don't celebrate being a man or manhood. And I feel like, you know, if it's going to be equal rights for everyone, then the men should have the same the same playing field. And and lastly, I want to touch on uh, Alan what, what Colonel West said there about the guns. Furthermore, uh, when you get MS-13 to turn in all of their firearms, then the legal patriots of this nation will turn in theirs. I mean, the the, the thing about it is is the only thing that these red flag laws and these other gun laws are doing is protecting the criminals. The patriots of this nation are going to be punished and lose their ability to defend themselves. Uh, and, and we're facing a massive border crisis right now, which unfortunately is what this administration uh, is seemingly playing out when what they're looking for. And I will go one step further and polish my tinfoil hat and say, yes, but disarming the legal gun owners is the purpose of all of this. They, they understand, they know darn wealth. And thank you. I appreciate you kicking it off, Brad. Uh, the, I think that the politicians know darn well that these laws that they pass piece by piece and they whittle away a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, they know that it's not going to stop the shootings in Chicago and all these other inner cities where people are being shot, you know, 10, 20 people every weekend. They know it's not going to stop that because they know those guns are illegally owned. They know that, but that's not what they're trying to stop. This is about, in my humble opinion, making it harder for law-abiding citizens to defend themselves. And then they tell you that you're dependent on the police department. And what are they doing to the police department? And no offense to cops, but they can't be everywhere, number one. And if you're defunding them, a lot of them, there's a city, uh, gosh, we just found out last week that they've run out of money because they don't have enough money for gas. So they're doing remote police calls. And they only send somebody out if it's like a real emergency. But those people who are making those laws, 
enjoys security armed to the hilt uh, who are allowed to carry weapons that you and I are not allowed to have to defend ourselves. And because they're private security. So what they're doing is they've already stripped the African-American population and the poor of their ability to protect themselves unless they choose to do it illegally. Because the left tells us that black people don't have IDs, right? And poor people don't have IDs and you need an ID to get a firearm. So right then and there, they're out of the game. They also have to pay for fingerprinting and background checks and everything else. They can't afford it. So right then and there, according to the, from what the left says about the black population and the poor population, so they right there, they're out of the game. They cannot legally defend themselves. The only option they have is to illegally obtain a firearm to defend themselves. That's number one. So they're working on everybody else. This red flag law, in my humble opinion, opens up a can of worms that allows the left to target people, you know, the Karen on your street who has her, you know, all lives matter. You know, like, did you ever see those signs? They're black. I believe black lives matter. I believe science is real. I believe that gender's fluid, that, that thing. She's the one who she knows her, her neighbor who flies the Trump flag uh, has guns. So, or she thinks it is. So she calls the police and say, I think he's a, th- you know, he threatened me. He's a menace. He has firearms. And then they go to him. He gets, he gets tagged by red flag. They come and they take his guns. He's now going to pay for a lawyer to prove his innocence. And it can, and it can take forever to get his firearms back. So I see where this can be abused in a large way. And I think it's a very, very dangerous thing. I want safety. I don't want kids dying in school. But I think there are other ways to prevent that from happening that's not being discussed. 866-408-7669. Jim in Portland, Oregon, listening on Freedom 970. Hi, Jim. Oh, hi, Mary. Um, I think that these red flag laws, it's like designing a car without brakes. And um, that wouldn't be allowed in um, automobile safety, but um, they're trying to push it through. I thought of one other thing. There was a case where citizens did defend themselves. In uh, Northfield, Minnesota, the Jesse James gang um, made a business trip, went to rob a bank, and they got repulsed. And I think it was by uh, uh, the citizens of Northfield, Minnesota at large. And um, I wish people would remember that. Well, and you know what? There are a lot more even recent ones, for instance, and I'm glad you reminded me of this, Jim. The Philadelphia Inquirer is reporting that justifiable homicides are rising in Philly as concealed carry surges in that city. They listed three recent incidents in which individuals who were legally carrying concealed shot and killed their assailants. They observed that wow, justified... I, I Yeah, justified homicides jumped 67% from 2020 to 2021. 22 is on pace to surpass the number of justifiable homicides witnessed just last year. So you don't even have to go that far back, Jim, and thank you for bringing that up. You don't have to go that far back because, you know, the left got, "That, that was the Wild West. You know, we're not the Wild West. We're much more civilized and on and on. But look at what's happening in Philadelphia, which makes me wonder how many people in places where you can't carry for instance like new jersey new york uh california these other states washington dc uh i wonder how many people would feel safer and be safer if they could conceal carry and don't tell me that the word doesn't go out uh, amongst the criminal element that a lot of people are carrying now in philadelphia and you start to see maybe a, a drop in 2021 the number of concealed carry permits in philly skyrocketed to seven over seventy thousand. And those people are not just shooting people willy-nilly. Justifiable 
homicides. 866-408-7669. Believe me, I wish I lived in a world in which I wouldn't need to carry all the time. But unfortunately, if we don't prosecute crime and we keep letting uh, uh, criminals out of of jail over and over and over again, or, or they get convicted and we let them out on bail over and over again, or just don't require bail and just let them walk with a promise that they're going to come back, we're at a greater risk. That's just the way the world is. I'll get more of your calls coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. There's no topic he won't touch, and there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade, 866-408-7669. Talking about the, you know, this gun legislation that they're working on, you know, and some people say, well, Republicans are caving. Why are we going to even do this? None of this would have stopped the Uvalde shooting. And when you have ABC putting out a piece saying, yeah, we interviewed a bunch of experts and they say that the proposed federal gun safety measures probably wouldn't have prevented the Uvalde shooting. What are we doing? What are we doing now? I give the Republicans credit. They are pushing for mental health issues, you know, for, for some more resources in our schools to get more guidance counselors. Right. We need more guidance counselors in school. We have a pand- We have an epidemic. I almost said pandemic, I don't know, but an epidemic of kids in, in, in school and especially in college reporting over 75% of kids in college saying that they've had some kind of mental health episode in college. So our kids are hurting, and I think that's why you're seeing these shootings, in my personal opinion. We're not taking care of that. And you can put as many laws as you want on the books. Criminals don't follow the law. I know it's shocking. Let's go to Mark on Staten Island listening on WABC. Mark, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Good morning. Uh, First of all, um, I I rather live in the wild, wild west. Uh, Second of all, there are already over 20,000 gun-related laws in this country, okay? And uh, this thing about mental health, you know, if, if something is not in the instant check system, you know, these records are sealed. The, the doctors say it's all confidential, blah, blah, blah. You can't have the information. So how can a gun dealer look at a guy and instantly know that he, he's nuts when he's not acting nuts and it's not in his record? He, you know, what, what can he do? Well, and that's that's the point. That's what they say in this piece uh, from ABC is that um, it contains the framework for this law has six proposals focusing on mental health and three gun specific proposals. And the experts say that, you know, the measures that are already in place wouldn't prevent the Uvalde shooting. And that's where we walk this fine line of mental health records being private. But I know in New Jersey, when you apply to purchase a weapon or to uh, to get your firearms ID card, you have to give them permission to access your mental health records uh, or you don't get it. So you have to give up your right to privacy in that sense in order to get uh, to even get your firearms ID card. And if I'm wrong on that, somebody can correct me and I'm sure you will. But I, I'm pretty sure that that's one of the things that you have to do. I I don't know what the answer is, but Mark, and thank you for your call. I appreciate you joining me. Mark, here's the thing. 
the vast majority of people who are legal gun owners are not committing these crimes, right? And these shootings, whether it's in Chicago and it's four here or Philadelphia with two there or a school, they're being carried out by the same group of people, young men. That's the common thread, yet we refuse to look at that. Why? Why? Maybe that's what we should be doing. Maybe that's what we should be looking at. And, you know, Uvalde, the guy had the gun legally. Chicago and Philadelphia, it's usually illegal handguns. But but I would say probably 98%, 99% of legal gun owners in this country, their guns never get up and commit a crime. Doesn't happen. So I'm glad that they're focusing on mental health with six proposals focusing on mental health. I think that's a good thing. But I don't know if what they're focusing on or how they're focusing on it is the answer. Uh, let's quickly go to Gary in York, PA. Gary, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Got two minutes. Hi. Hey, Mary, I make it really quick. I'm a handgun instructor, and I own my own business, Point Blank Defense. Here's the question I have. You're right. The whole due process is upside down. But talking about mental health, we've trained close to 3,000 students, which involves it's particularly veterans. Now, some of those have dealt with PTS, and let's just say they're on an antidepressant. And there are a number of people who are not veterans who are on an antidepressant. They have no priors. Where is the line? Mm-hmm. That's the danger in all of this. You could have somebody who was on antidepressant in their background. Well, they're dealing with mental illness. That's what will come up on their record. And once again, these folks have no priors, but let's wait and see in the litmus test who they go after. There's no, there's no boundaries. And the whole process, as you said, is upside down through process. That is such an excellent point, Gary. Thank you for bringing that up. You know, we have an entire generation. If you watch any of the shows, you know, that are, that's geared towards the, the 2030 crowd, they're all on some kind of medication, whether it's boys for on Ritalin for ADHD, whether it's uh, the, the stuff for anti-depression, whatever it happens to be, they all seem to be on some kind of medication. It's an entire generation. So maybe this is the way of just slowly weeding out people who would have access to firearms generationally, because in the future, the vast majority of them are going to be locked out because 20 years ago, you were on some kind of medication. I think that that's an excellent point. That just is a whole nother layer to this. But if we, if we continue to go after the wrong thing, you're going to keep going down this rabbit hole, right? You're just going to keep going down this spiral of chasing your tail almost. And, and these shootings are going to continue to happen. Shockingly, nothing they pass is going to to have an effect on the outcome in our inner cities of the, the skyrocketing uh, homicides of, with firearms. And also in New York, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, walking across the street, some psycho is going to come up and just stab you. You saw that two weeks ago. None of it's going to change. And they're going to sit there, and those in Washington, inside the bubble, and they're going to scratch their heads, and they're not going to understand it because they all have private security paid for by you and me, and they can't understand why everyone's so violent. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, 
Yes, I am Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. 866-408-7669 is my number if you would like to join in. I'd like to take this time, though, to speak with General Jack Keane. He's retired four-star general, the chairman of the Institute for the Study of War, and Fox News senior strategic analyst, and I like to say a very nice man. General Keane, thank you for joining me. Oh, great, Mary. Always good to be here with you and your audience. Thank you. I love having you. There's so much that I wanted to cover with you. One of the things that I wanted to cover first um, is President Biden talking about going to meet with uh, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, He's supposed to be going to Saudi Arabia next month. And he famously said during the debates that he would treat uh, Saudi Arabia as a pariah over the murdering of the Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi. But now he's singing a different tune because he has to go beg them for oil. If you were advising him, would you tell him to go over to speak and meet with the crown prince? Yeah, absolutely. I I really believe that the Biden administration, when they came in, dealing with foreign policy and national security, what I pay attention to, you know, began, I, I think, correctly to build on some of the strengths of President Trump had put into his policy dealing with China. And and they were certainly attempting to also strengthen uh, NATO and Europe. But I believe he's completely strategically misguided uh, dealing with the Middle East. And and here's why. Um, We've had a relationship with Saudi Arabia for 80 years, began by President Roosevelt during World War II. Uh, It has transitioned through 14 presidents, Republicans and Democrats. And it has always operated, Mary, at at what I refer to as the intersection of national security and what is in the best interest for the United States, and also a concern for American values because they're very different in Saudi Arabia. And our presidents, through those 80 years, have had to try to find a balance to make this relationship work. And the Biden administration came in, and because of the Khashoggi affair, referred to the MBS as an international pariah, as attempting to isolate him, uh, shut down the military assistance that was coming to Saudi Arabia, uh, having been programmed by the Trump administration, did the same thing to the UAE. And, and of course, that military assistance is principally uh, there to counter the Iranian uh, hegemonic desires to take over the Middle East. But at the same time, in the very first 30 to 40 days, the Biden administration is is reaching out to Iran, not to the Arabs, not to Israel, but to Iran, to go back and reformulate the 2015 very flawed deal. I thought these actions uh, was strategically significantly off from what should have been done. And and listen, the, the Kosoji affair is horrific, and, and there's no uh, way around the morality issue uh, associated with that. But to, to let that horrific offense uh, impact national security and the security of the American people and the stability and peace in the Middle East uh, is misguided, in, in my judgment. It's not that you don't hold them accountable, but you don't let it define our foreign policy and national security relationship uh, with this regime. And I, so I, he's, he's going to meet with MBS, 
whose mom had been Salman, uh, short uh, version of it. And he's also going to meet with the leaders of the Gulf states. And what he's going to hear from them is Iran, Iran, and Iran, because that is the major threat that they are dealing with in the region, and they want the United States involved in this uh, and, and the United States' commitment to it. They have other choices, and they've been making those choices. They've been reaching out to Russia and to China because they feel there's, the United States created a vacuum here, and they're very concerned about their their own security. So I do think that this is a good step. Listen, the reason I understand the hand is out to get oil prices uh, in a better oil production in a better place. We could do that significantly at home, but that's another issue. But the real purpose of the visit, from my perspective, is to return a relationship to something that's meaningful in our ability to counter the Iranian threat. Now, but they did not. The the Saudi Arabians initially rebuffed President Biden when he first reached out to them about a year ago. Remember, they wouldn't take his phone call. So what has changed? Well, I think that is reported to be what has happened. I don't know if if that uh, indeed is is the case. Okay. I, I think the reason for that is because of the rhetoric that the president was using in reference to uh, the regime itself uh, in referring to them as an international pariah and stiffen them on the military assistance that we were supposed to provide to them. So, yes, um, in terms of their reaction to something like that, uh, they they care deeply about the United States. A few weeks ago, I met with Mohammed bin Salman's brother, Prince Khalid, um, who's their deputy defense minister and also their ambassador here in the United States. I met with them uh, when, while he was visiting the United States and, and asked them very much about this relationship. And there is no doubt in their mind uh, how important the relationship is uh, with the United States for their own uh, security in the region and stability. And they certainly recognize uh, the United States' interest in the very same thing in the region. And I, I think they're going to put some pressure on the, on the president, and, and, and the, it'll likely come from the Gulf states as well. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't ask for the president so that they can be under the security nuclear umbrella of the United States, much as NATO is and also uh, Japan and South Korea are uh, in, in the Far East. Uh, dealing with Russia and China. I don't believe we would concede to that initially, but I I certainly understand why the Gulf states and Mohammed bin Salman from Saudi Arabia would bring that up, given right. the fact that Iran is on a, what looks like a rapid pathway to a nuclear weapon. Yeah. Um, I would like to also talk about Ukraine because we're hearing reports, and I saw them over the weekend, that apparently the United States says we're going to send them these rocket launchers, but we're only going to send them certain ones. And But they're being delayed, and apparently we have like 80 of them in Germany, but they're not being moved to Ukraine. What is the delay with this administration? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I was in the Pentagon a couple of weeks ago, and I think I, I, I have an answer that I didn't have then. 
we've done some really good work in, in getting weapons to them. As an example for our audience, uh, 27,000 anti-tank weapons. I mean, that is a staggering amount that we've been able to deliver, not just javelin, but other other forms of anti-tank weapons and thousands of, of stingers, etc. cetera. Uh, but when the Ukrainians began to ask Mary for advanced weapon systems, particularly to deal with Russian artillery, they wanted howitzers, uh, air defense systems, and then they wanted uh, rocket launchers because it's the Russian rocket launchers that have the range that are outgunning the Ukrainian artillery. When those weapon systems got asked, uh, as opposed to just more javelins or more stingers or uh, some more drones, because it was different and it was an advanced weapon system, it went into the national security process of the interagency. And there's people there who are representing different agencies that are very concerned about the war being escalated by virtue of the kind of weapons we're given the Ukrainians and that it could provoke Putin into that escalation and delayed the, the decision for a number of weeks, and it happened more than once, with howitzers yeah. first and then with rocket launchers. And that's really unfortunate that we don't have a, a clear policy statement that we're going to give the Ukrainians the weapon systems they need to prosecute this war. And and I don't see any issue here with provoking Putin into escalation based on giving them artillery weapons or rocket launchers that can use the same range and, and and likely lethality that the Russians already have and are already using. I think it was a false issue and unnecessary delayed them. The other, the second issue is uh, with the HIMARS, which are they're not the, what people see on television, the truck-mounted rockets that come out of the back of a truck out of, out of cylinders and are fired very rapidly. We're giving them uh, a much more sophisticated, precision-guided munition that brings a certain amount of weight to it and has a, a significant range to it in excess of 50 miles. Uh, so it requires some training. And the training is ongoing as we speak, and that's the reason for the delay. Um, and I think, it, I think the training can be done very quickly, but it does take some time. They are training artillerymen in, in Ukrainian military already familiar uh, with the, the kind of system, but not that particular system. But listen, we, we're we at a, a tipping point here, uh, Mary. Uh, you see what's happening in the war. You, you Russians are making some steady uh, incremental progress. Yeah. Uh, the Ukrainians are, are inflicting significant casualties on them. They're taking more casualties themselves. They want to be able to stop the Russian gains and go on the counteroffensive. They've got the skill to do it. They've got the will to do that. They've got the people to do it. They just need the weapons. And that is the tipping point. Yeah. We've got to get these weapons to them in the numbers they desire. Listen, we're only providing four of these rocket precision guided mm -hmm. munitions to them. The Brits are only providing three. The Germans are only providing three. What Zelensky and his generals want is somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 to be able to do this uh, correctly. So we have got to upgun ourselves. And hopefully that last meeting that Secretary Austin had uh, last week 
in Brussels with the 40-something nations. I hope he was pounding the table and yeah. telling them that we got to get these weapons to them now and in the quantities that they need. Now, yeah. I have about a minute and a half here. Very quickly, uh, you had General Sir Patrick Sanders uh, from the United Kingdom. He is the new Army chief there, and he warned that British, British soldiers, hard for me to say, uh, must prepare to fight in Europe once again. And a lot of people are saying that that could be a warning about the spread of this war. I've got about a minute and a half. What do you think he was saying there? Well, I think what he's saying is that if the Russians are able to succeed here, by succeed, keep hundreds of thousands of soldiers in Ukraine over time because the war is stalemated and de- devastate Ukraine economically, there's likely a geopolitical win here for Russia at the expense of the United States and NATO, who supposedly are all in to help the Ukrainians defeat the Russians. If that's the outcome, that will encourage Putin to go further. And he clearly has his eye on the Baltics and particularly Lithuania as as a next step. Certainly Moldova, non-aligned country, would, would be on that list as well. But I think that's, that's the omen that he sees in the future. Uh, we cannot sit on our laurels here and think that uh, based on the Ukrainian military's bravery that all of this is going to work out to our satisfaction. It's not. We got a protracted war in our hand, and there is huge danger out there for the U.S. uh, national security interests as well as the Brits and Europe writ large. Yeah, it's it's almost as if he's learning from history and uh, Second World War with uh, Chamberlain versus Churchill, etc. And you see a lot of the history repeating itself here. And we have a, an option this time around to learn from history and do something different. General Jack Keane, got to let you go. Thank you so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure when I get to speak with you. Yeah, thanks, Mary. That's a great analogy, by the way. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Well, that just made my day. Eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I've got your calls coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. 866-408-7669 is my number. Uh, having a conversation about the red flag law, the boyfriend loophole, as they're calling it in this negotiation, this bipartisan negotiation uh, over gun control in the wake of the Uvalde shooting. But there are things that they had protocol in place in Uvalde and it wasn't all followed. You know, that, that door that the teacher had propped open, we find out now that's not how he came. He came in through that door, but the teacher had closed that door, but it's supposed to automatically lock. And it didn't because it had been broken for a while. Now that's the latest report that I had seen. Who knows that could change again because this story keeps changing about what happened there. Uh, we know that the officers it was almost an hour before they finally went into the classroom. So there were protocol. There's protocols in place. If we don't follow the protocol, n- none of this matters. You put all the laws on the books you want, but criminals have a nasty habit of not following the laws. And in schools, if we're not going to follow the safety protocols, then what's the point? It doesn't matter. It's just a waste of money. 
But we should take money. We should harden our schools. There's all this COVID money sitting in all these school districts that was never used. We should be putting in state-of-the-art security, we, uh, surveillance, uh, locked doors, one entrance in. There are so many things that we could do. Let's give our kids the same security that they have at a jewelry store or Congress or the Kardashians. Let's go to Brooklyn. Alex listening on WABC. Hi, Alex. You're on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking the call. You know, actually, you just said that they should put the money for the security of the schools. Another thing that we could do with the COVID money, you know, Obama gave out phones, Obama phones. We, we should be handing out tasers to the American people so they should be able to defend themselves. But I wanted to say the Democrats not only want that the American people shouldn't be able to defend themselves, they want the criminals to be able to defend themselves. Because if they really wanted to stop the shootings going on in this country, they would first go after cracking down on the black market and illegal gun trading before they go after law-abiding citizens. Because if you just ban laws and you don't really enforce the laws that are in place, before you go further on and make it illegal for a law-abiding citizen to get a gun, the only ones that are going to abide by the law are law-abiding citizens, not the criminals. So you're really defending and helping the criminals defend themselves by taking the guns away from us. And in England, they have very few shootings every year, but they have a lot of stabbings over there. And, you know, Democrats say that the reason why they have those few shootings every year over there is because they ban guns. And it's not true. The reason why they have the shootings so low there is because they crack down on the black market and illegal gun trading. And really, the people in England should be able to have guns and defend themselves from the stabbings that are going on over there. So we should be doing the same thing. We should enforce our laws before making new laws and, you know, tight, uh, squaring in and putting the law-abiding citizens in this tight position where they can't secure themselves. The Democrats want also to defund the police, and they just want to help the criminals. Yeah, you know, the other thing we could do, thank you so much, Alex, the other thing we could do is if we secured our border, we wouldn't have this illegal gun running coming across the border or the fentanyl trade, the illegal drug trade that also helps to spur this illegal gun trade. I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. If you'd like to join me, 866 408 Six nine is my number. So we've been talking about uh, the the red flag laws that you know apparently are going to be in this compromised bipartisan bill. Uh, but I also and and this is where it gets me because you know Republicans I think um, give a lot. Republicans cave a lot. Republicans will always you know they they work they don't play hardball and and the Democrats do. And I. I want to draw that into this conversation and I want to go to um, let's go to cut 15. If you don't mind, Eric, I, I want to draw that into this conversation because Republicans drive me crazy. And this is why I am not a registered Republican, because the Republican Party seems to disappoint me at every single turn. Right. Um, <laughs> it's Charlie Brown and the football. I keep saying like they promise me every so many years that if you vote for us, we're going to do blah, 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 blah. And um, I'm waiting to see what comes out with the gun law. I'm waiting to see what comes out with this package before I judge it. But I just don't have high hopes that the Republicans are going to stand firm on this and that they're going to, quote unquote, compromise. And law-abiding gun owners are going to lose more rights while 
criminals will still roam the streets armed to the teeth and not be not be prosecuted for it. So this is James Comer uh, out of Kentucky, and he was on CBS on the Takeout podcast. And here's I want you to hear what he said. The promises are starting to come, not just for not just for the left, but also for the right. Listen to what he had to say here. You're the chairman. Mm-hmm. Hypothetically, what's the first item you take up for investigative business for the Oversight Committee? Well, we're already doing uh, the groundwork for investigations in January. We've been all over the Hunter Biden issue. One reason we think Hunter Biden... So Hunter Hunter Biden is first. Hunter Biden's first. Uh, We've just compiled an amazing amount of information with respect to... Uh, wrongdoing from Hunter Biden. It started out as a probe of Hunter Biden. Now it's expanded into the entire Biden family. Mm-hmm. So that well, you vote for me and you know what we're going to do if we take control, we're going to go after Hunter Biden. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. I, I just don't buy it. You've got McConnell and McCarthy and the two of them, I, I think, are very detrimental to what the base of the Republican Party wants. We would love to see Hunter Biden investigated because if that were Don Jr., the Democrats would have spent $40 million and public hearings and you know bread and circuses for the masses in order to make sure that that happened. And I just don't see that the that the Republicans will do that. And he was talking to Major Garrett there. He went on to say, I believe that his son is corrupt. He accused Hunter Biden of profiting off of his last name. He accused Joe Biden of protecting his son's interests. And um, he said any father would probably do that. But the problem is Hunter Biden's a national security threat. Do you have faith that the Republicans will stand strong on pretty much anything? Not just this this gun law, not just that compromised gun law that they're gun laws that they're coming out with this package of comprehensive gun reform. Do you do you have faith that the Republicans will stand strong? And do you have faith that should we give them the House, maybe the Senate in November, that they will stand strong and do something like uh, investigate Hunter Biden and really do it? You do have some. You have um, Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson quiet guys, but they have been working this and they now are accusing the DOJ of blocking their efforts to get answers on this Hunter Biden investigation. There's apparently one going on. He has been charged. uh, He's he's under investigation for tax evasion and also for possible foreign lobbying violations under FARA, the Foreign Agents Registration Act. And um, they try to get out, find out what's going on with it. And they've been stonewalled by the DOJ. So as long as you have that swamp, and I don't think McCarthy and McConnell are willing to fight the swamp, I think they're quite happy living in the swamp. I don't have faith that this is going to get done. There's some others they said they were going to investigate as well. I'll tell you who that is coming up. 866-408-7669 is my number. Let's go to Florida and say hello to Brian. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey, good morning. How are you today? Doing great. Yeah, good. Just a couple of things here I want to say. First of all, about the the shootings. Um, These kids that are shooting kids, uh, it's not only the problems that they have, but they're being bullied while they were in school. Um, the, The bullies can, they can really psychologically hurt and impair someone's reality of thinking. And that's when the parents need to get involved. But I don't think enough is being said about these kids that are being bullied. They have nowhere to go. 
um, I, being bullied myself in, 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 in school, I just I couldn't stand it. It was very hard, depressing and, and suicidal tendencies and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they're just taking acts on that. The second thing I want to say is that, you know, if these immigrants coming, uh, illegal immigrants coming into our country, if they don't register and bring themselves to be an American citizen, how can they vote for anybody? And, well, last uh, time I checked, all they have to do is fill out a, a ballot that happens to come to the address at which they're living. I know people who live in, Was- live in Washington, D.C., and during the last round, one of them received five ballots to his address. So, you know, if you're in the country illegally and you get that and you're not uh, scrupulous, what's to prevent you from filling that out and sending it in? Uh, good point. But. Uh, it, it's these the, they're coming across this border and then their their uh, court date where they're supposed to show up and have their yeah. residency looked at. They never show. I haven't heard of one e- illegal immigrant that has showed up to their court date. Um, as many of them as I think it's the first twenty five thousand. Nobody showed up under that twenty five thousand that was supposed to have their court date. And I just found that rather you know ridiculous, knowing that you know we're going to let them in, but. You know, I mean, they're not even showing up. <laughs> so. Right. Well, they're, yeah, and that's the joke of it. And the Democrats know they're not going to show up. And that's the point of it. They don't care if they show up. They just want to get them into the country so that five, ten years down the road when their children have been born in this country and uh, the parents, you don't want to separate the parents from the children despite them, you know, coming in illegally and every excuse in the book, blah, blah, blah. We wind up with three million more people who are now going to get amnesty. And this is just and they're going to be on a path to citizenship happens continually over and over and over again because Democrats think that they will vote for them. That's the game. Brian, um, you know, Brian, are you still there? Do we get rid of he's still there? Yes, I'm still here. Okay, very quickly, because I don't want to take a lot of time, but very quickly, you talked about bullying in school, and I find this fascinating because I think everybody gets bullied at some point in time in school. Um, Everybody's had their, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I wore glasses in second grade, and that was the bane of my existence. Uh, But, but, you know, you were bullied, and we've all been through it, I think, to varying degrees. Why is it now with this generation, though, that the only way they see out is going to school with a firearm and killing a lot of people or killing themselves. Why is that? Why? What has changed in basically a generation when it comes to bullying? My opinion is because it, it all starts at home with the parents. If 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 they are not getting any type of uh, you know upbringing you know with their parents, they're shying away. They're sitting in their rooms. They're not doing anything, and that's what happened with Dylan Klebold and his partner with Columbine. They just they weren't getting. They were tired of this going on, and that's why they were in their garage making a plan because the parents weren't around. Um, I think, like you said earlier, about an hour ago, you know, the parents are just brushing them off, you know, to where they just you know, okay, well, hurry up and do this so I can do what I need to do. That's so true. They just yeah. don't pay enough attention to them. Since I've grown up and I'm a dad now, my son gets 100% of my attention besides work and my wife. That's All it, right. I just wanted, I wanted to get that. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate you answering that question. Thank you. Let's go to New Jersey. Ben, listening on WPG. Ben, you're on the Brian Carter. Hey, Mary. <laughs> you're Mary, on the you Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey. Good. Doing well. Yeah, doing a- Hey, uh, that last call was a beautiful segue to what I wanted to talk about. And, you know, we, we heard Kamala Harris uh, in the recent past talking about root causes of immigration problems going down to Central America. Well, of course, she yeah. really didn't get anything done. I want to talk briefly about what I think are root causes of these shootings 
and it's something that all of these legislators have been talking around and ignoring, and that has to do with what the previous caller talked about, which is the importance of fathers in the home. Father's Day was two days ago. Yep. Uh, we got we got to deal with this short term and long term. The short term, a couple of the ideas that they're talking about with this legislation, giving schools more security and and hardening them is good. Uh, mental health issues through the roof. We need to we need to get on that. Mm-hmm. But we need to have a culture that says fathers are good, they're necessary, they're important. Because if you look at the profiles of these young men, primarily who have done these shootings. You look at their backgrounds, look at their family situations, and inevitably you're going to yep. find problems. Abuse, uh, no father there, mm-hmm. drug use, all kinds of things. That's the root cause. That's the long-term solution. Unfortunately, we're going to have more of these shootings, uh, so we got to do some short-term stuff. But more gun restrictions are, are not going to help. I'm a father, a grandfather, former police officer, and firearms instructor, and uh, I've never seen any uh, law-abiding uh, gun (laughs) shoot anybody exactly i I tell the story all the time i'm old enough to remember when uh you know hunting season where i grew up hunting season the first day of deer season there was nobody in school and throughout the season you know you'd see in the senior parking lot all the pickup trucks and this is in new jersey uh and and they all had the gun rack and they all had their 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 gun you know their rifle on the back of the or shotgun on the on the in, in the rack at the back and none of those guns ever came out of the senior parking lot and killed anybody. It was amazing. But you exactly. bring up a good point, and I'm so glad you brought up that point because I agree with you 100%. We devalue men in our society, period. It starts when they're kids in school and they're told that they're privileged and that the girls are underprivileged, and we see the girls perform and excel because we build them up and build them up and build them up, but instead of just building the girls up, we push the boys down. And that's why I think we have a very angry generation of young men, and it is a ticking time bomb, and we are just starting to see the effects of that. Ben, thank you for joining me, and thank you for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Your call is 866-408-7669. I'm Mary Walter, in for Brian Kilmeade. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're in danger of becoming a party of the very high and the very low. Uh, If you could pull out the working class, you've got people who are very well educated and very well off. Those people talk funny. Latinx, I've never met a Latinx, I've never met a BIPOC, I've never met, you know, all this, this weird stuff that these highly educated people say is bizarre. Nobody talks that way at the barbershop, the nail salon, uh, the, 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 uh, the grocery store, uh, the community center, but that's how we talk now. So that's weird. And then the people who are very low down on the economic ladder need a bunch of stuff. You wind up over-promising, oh, we're going to give you reparations to, to people at the bottom of the economic ladder, talking weird to appeal to people at the top of the ladder, and the working class walks away from you. That is the danger we're facing. I thought you do get a little bit of good news here, right? Uh, Van Jones on CNN uh, slamming Democrats for talking weird. You heard him to working class voters, and he's saying that d- Democrats are losing the middle class. And you saw that with Trump. You saw the working class, the the, the people who you know the Democrats always say the blue collar workers uh, were you know they were the champion of the blue collar workers, and they're really not. 
You know, they're also the champion of the African-American and the poor. They're really not. They're actually very, very racist. Democrat policies are phenomenally racist, assuming that because you're black, well, you don't have an ID. You know, black people don't have ID, so we can't have, you know, you're, you're disenfranchising black people from voting. Wait, what? Every black person I know has an ID. How do they, and, and if they're very poor, how do they sign up for all of these, these programs that they need without ID? How do they go to the hospital without ID? Stop it. And uh, Bill Maher, who, let me tell you, Bill Maher is, is becoming more, I, I think he's a Democrat. I think he's what the Democrat Party used to be, like Van Jones was just talking about. Here he is talking about that, that demise of that Democrat in the middle. If Biden does step down or say he's going to step down, then the Democrats have, I mean, we've all noticed this, a problem like, but who? Right. And he mentioned, who is there, Bill Clinton, who's going to come along? And I thought, okay, well, Clinton and Obama, obviously the last two successful Democrats. Is is there a Bill Clinton or Barack Obama out there or is such a broadly centrist Democrat no longer even really possible? I think he's right. It's a great question. Is that even possible? Now, there are some on the right who are asking that question as well. Is there such a thing as a centrist Republican? You know, you got this MAGA Republican. But I kind of wonder if that quote unquote MAGA Republican that so many people say with such disdain, super MAGA, you know, Joe Biden. I, that's kind of middle America. That is the people who work who who do the right thing, who responsibly own guns, who show ID when they go to vote. You know, those are the people who believe in, you know, having, leave me alone. Just let me live my life and I won't bother anybody and I want to work hard and I want to succeed. Those are the people who believe in the American dream, right? Am I wrong? 866-408-7669. Sean listening on WDBO in Orlando. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Sean. Hey, how you doing today? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Good. Like a couple of your callers, I'm a farms instructor of a combat man. Spent 15 years overseas, and when you come home and you find your country less and less free, it kind of eats at your soul. And you see that we're at a point in time that people, when you see a shooting like what happened in, in Texas or at a church or at a, at a shopping market, and the first thing we go after is an inanimate object, and people are willing to give their rights up just to get a sense of security, which is never going to come because they never address the issue. There's hundreds of issues that are leading to these events, and nobody's addressing any of them, let alone all of them. And it would take days, if not weeks, to discuss. You know, So it's like we, we just keep putting Band-Aids on a cancer, and nothing's ever going to happen except the law-abiding are going to end up giving up a right, which you know most of us refuse. Most of us that swore oaths to defend that Constitution don't feel that there's a uh, expiration date on it. And who wants there was a there was a cop on one of these TikTok pages or something that went to his city council and said the very same thing I'm about to say. Do you want to be the first person through the door when they tell you to go and confiscate weapons? And I know what your listeners are thinking, but that's not what they're saying. Sure, in the beginning in the 1930s when the Nazi Party kicked up and they started confiscating guns. It didn't start with a full confiscation. It was a slow death by a thousand cuts. And this is what we're saying. Learn from history. This is why you should have the same hardware that the military has, or at least access to it, so you don't become a Ukraine. You know, I've got family over there, and they're like, why are you guys trying to give up your rights? We're trying to beg for weapons. I said, don't ask me. People are stupid. Because they think it'll never happen to them, not in my lifetime. 
Right. right. And, and the thing is, to, and thank you for your service. And I, I love hearing from people who have served because you never really stop serving. Uh, you, you carry that with you and you're such a spe- special breed of people. I could never do what you do. So I have mad respect for it. Um, but the politicians, and this is why I think that if I can't carry, uh, if I can't buy an AR-15, for example, to protect my family, if I don't have that right, you as a politician, your security that I pay for should not be allowed to use an AR-15 to protect you. You are not more valuable than I. Your children, your family is not more valuable than mine. Same thing for all, all these people who have private security. If they should not, their private security should not be allowed to carry any weapons that I am not allowed to have as a law-abiding citizen. I think that's the only way you wind up with some sensible gun safety. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.